welcome to The Rob Burgess Show. I'm, of course, your host, Rob Burgess. On this, our 240th episode, our guest is Staff Sergeant Aquilino Gunnell. Staff Sergeant Aquilino Gunnell is a Dominican immigrant, former U.S. Army soldier, and Iraq War veteran. For 17 years, he was a United States Capitol Police officer and was one of four police officers who testified before the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th insurrection. He's been featured on ABC, CBS, CNN, Telemundo, Univision, and NPR, and in The New York Times, The Washington Post, and El Diario. He is the recipient of the Congressional Gold Medal and the Presidential Citizens Medal. The book he co-wrote with Susan Shapiro, American Shield, the Immigrant Sergeant Who Defended Democracy, was published November 7th by Counterpoint Press. A quick programming note. The interview section of this episode is about 40 minutes long, after which I'll come back shortly to read a quick additional statement from Staff Sergeant Gunnell. Then for the last part of the episode, I'll be including Staff Sergeant Gunnell's complete testimony before the United States House Select Committee on the January 6th attack, which he delivered July 27th, 2021. And now on to the show. I'm really excited to talk to you. Uh, I just finished your book about 20 minutes ago. So it's uh, <laughs> it's very fresh oh, wow. in my mind. <laughs> Thanks for for uh, reading it, and I hope you um, have a little better understanding of, uh, I guess, what I'm what I'm seeking and what I want people to know. So. Of course. Um, so I mean, but first, before we get into anything, uh, how are you feeling? Are you are you all right? Yeah, I'm doing well. Um, today was a little. Uh, little overwhelmed because uh, I, I was in near the Capitol today for three different interviews, uh, four different interviews. And um, there was, a, I guess, a con- they are, they're working on, on, on the building on, on the West Front. And um, there was making sounds like saying sounds that, um, that I heard on January 6th, so that was kind of like bringing, bringing me a little bit of flashbacks. But um, when I came back uh, two hours, uh, three hours ago, I think, I went to the gym and that kind of like seems to do the trick for me normally. Mm. Uh, so exercising and uh, being away from the capital does me good. So that's a good thing. Um, what kind of exercising do you do? Do you do any yoga or are you, are you mentioned running in the book a lot? Um, I do running. Uh, I recently started uh, being able to um, throw the ball, uh, basketball. A little mm. bit. So it's a work in progress. So I'm still working on getting all my range of motion, but I will never get them back. So I just have to know my limits and, um, and also, know my body when my body tells me stop then I need to stop and not be as aggressive as I used to before the injury so that's I always uh, I use basketball as a way to heal my body and my mind um, you know I I don't know if I if you read that on in the book but when after the two surgeries um, that I went through I my weight went up really high in the 230s in my uh, normal weight used to be um, uh, around 
Um, can you hold on just one second? Sure. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, uh, I have four children and, uh, my wife, was with, <laughs> my wife was with our two youngest children, uh, and she was sitting in the dark and I forgot to go turn on the light because <laughs> she, <laughs> she turns out the light to put the little kids to bed, but, um, I forgot to go back and turn it off. So she was, or turn it on and she was just sitting in there in the dark. So <laughs> no I don't have to attend to that. So. <laughs> mm. No, believe me, I know how that works. I used to do. <laughs> yes, definitely. Well, um, you mentioned this in the book, but your parents had a lot of siblings. Yes. Yeah. Um, that, that's then, wow. That's a lot were, of siblings. <laughs> back then, they used to um, bear childrens just to help out with right rooms and all that stuff. But yeah, I think that's that's what the Republicans now want their females seeing. Oh, they, sure, <laughs> absolutely. Well, you know, <laughs> well, back to those good old days, huh? <laughs> well, they saw the Handmaiden's Tale and they were like, "Oh, that's an instruction manual. <laughs> that's that's what we should do." <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Anyway, um, but you were uh, you were as you talk about in the book, you were born in the Dominican Republic. Um, and uh, for people who haven't been there, like myself, uh, how would you describe it? And also, as an aside, I also got strangely very hungry reading your book um, <laughs> because you uh, you talk a lot about food, um, obviously, because of, you know, you'll get into that, I'm sure. But uh, also talk a little bit about plantains, because um, how much are they like bananas and how do you use them in cooking? I know this um, is a lot <laughs> to ask in one question, but, <laughs> I mean, it, it, you know, um, being well, let me start with the with, with the latter. Um, plantains uh, are a kind of like the national fruit, uh, vegetable. I don't know what 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 do you call it, but it's, sure. it's a um, it is a national uh, pro product. Um, we are proud of it. We we actually like and have many variations of uh, style and food and. Uh, that can, can be prepared using uh, plantains, either green or ripe. Um, so it's, it varies. Uh, it also depends on the region you go to. Mm. Um, in terms of my grandparents, uh, they did have a, a, a lone um, uh, family, a lot, a lot of back then, uh, a lot of children. And that's because at that time, uh, you know, you talk about... Um, the, the 70s, 60s, and 80s, and even 90s, um, you know, back then they used to work a lot in the field, um, in, in their own farms. And so it was necessary for them to have a, a large family. Um, that way they didn't have to pay the uh, uh, on other uh, workers 
uh, or contractors or things like that when their own family members could do the, the work. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of, uh, uh, what was your second question? The third question, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll ask you one question at a time from now on, I promise. Sorry about that. Um, um, no, it's just, uh, well, I've never been to the Dominican well, well, Republic or, or any, uh, you know, West Indian country, I guess. Uh, how, what is it like? I have never been. Um, this, you know, it's, there are, like any other country has good things and bad things. I'm not going to deceive you on that. So up front. So, uh, you know, you have to, um, it depends where you go. There are safe areas. There are areas that are not so safe and you need to know and be aware of your surroundings. Uh, just like when we move around here in, in the U.S. Um, you know, every country has their own problems. Uh, one thing that uh, a lot of, uh, that we try to do is wherever, um, there's a tourism, uh, and, you know, they usually try to keep those areas safe and, um, uh, protected. Uh, there are, uh, the, the people are very fun and outgoing, very, uh, amigable. They are very friendly. Um, so, you know, if you want to just have the experience of being, uh, in the resort, in the resort, um, then that's a, that's on you. You could do that here in Florida. If you want to mingle with the population and actually get to know the population, then you need to go with somebody that will show you those ins and outs and actually take you around the town and inside the population where you could see how the the culture and the people works and how proud they are of the working, how work uh, hard workers they are. And, and you know it's it's very different than here. The whole environment, the way they speak, the way they talk, the way um, the the type of food. Um, so you you're gonna learn a lot of things if you do end up going. So I encourage you to, to cool. do so. Yeah, would love to. Um, but I've known other people whose first language was not English, and I think this topic is endlessly fascinating. But you talk a little bit about this in the book. Uh, but do you still dream in Spanish or do you dream in English? Um, dreaming. I, like I, I know, know when you first came here, you said mean, that you're still doing Spanish, right? Because I, I used that's to, your inner monologue. Yeah. I, I used to dream in Spanish. I mean, right. I, I now I, I hardly dream anything because, you know, sometimes I'm mm-hmm. sometime I don't remember. I mean, uh, once I do remember, uh, that I used to dream in Spanish uh, in, uh, I think, 2020, 20, I'm sorry, 2019, when I was doing my NDR uh, mental health therapy, then I began dreaming again, but that was in English, um, trying to heal mm-hmm. my body mental, mentally and remember some stuff. So um, it did open up some of those uh, memories and blocking mm-hmm. and things like that, but um, I don't know, like right now, what sometimes what I get is sometimes nightmares uh, instead of mm. so, and those are in English uh, from January 6th, right? Absolutely, um, I could uh wish that I didn't have any, and that most of the time I don't, but I when I do, it's uh, uh, I guess things from related to January 6th, sure, absolutely, understood. Um but when you got, what age did you uh, arrive in America? Uh, I arrived here at age 12. Okay. Uh, what was some of the biggest uh, cultural shocks about coming to America? Uh, 
Well, I came in the winter, so the, the tree, <laughs> yeah, that tree had no leaves. <laughs> um, you know, I where I I landed in Brooklyn, where the mm. Um, at that time, there was a lot of violence, crimes, and um, you know, a lot of riots uh, between black uh, African Americans and uh, well, not riot, uh, animosity uh, between African Americans and Jewish uh, community because they had some um, problems between them, you know perception that they you know because there was somebody got killed and then they retaliated against the other group so it was kind of like uh i'm like what the fuck did i did i land it uh. you know because the other thing is i had to you know i'm gonna tell you is like you know at that age you know people or at that time many people you used to see the united states as a uh, land where you could um become uh you know, rich or uh, wealthy, and the things that we used to give back, uh, in terms of like how people mm. see the United States or talk about the United States, well, well, you could, you could pick up the money from the street. You know, they throw things. You know, things are good, and you, know, you got to <laughs> clean it up. And here I am getting uh, arriving here in the United States, and all I see is the. Um, the leaves uh, fall on the on on the on the ground. I'm like, well, I, where's the money that they were talking that you find on the street? All I see is a bunch of leaves everywhere, leaves everywhere, but not money on the street. So that was kind of like culture shock and the language as well. Um, when I first came here, the only three words I knew was America, number one, and plantains. Yeah. So, um, and once uh, the once I got to the, uh, I do remember this war, um, the, when I got to the booth and talked to the um, custom agent, he was like, well, um, looking back, uh, I, I think I recognize, uh, I remember the, what he was saying. Um, he was saying, are you here for vacation? And the only thing that I understood about vacation was vacay. Which in Spanish means cow, vaca. <laughs> so like I'm like, yes, we have cows <laughs> in Spanish. Right. Yes, we have cows. <laughs> so that was that was kind of like um, interesting and and, and like oh, just keep going, just go, just go. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I'm asking. Whether you have that. No. Not at all. <laughs> um, but yeah, well, you write very candidly about your family. Um, one of the things I always think is interesting about people that write memoir and about their own lives is you, you end up writing about people that are close to you and, and their feelings could potentially be, uh, you know, bruised by things you write. How did you deal with that writing about some of the members of your own family? Um, well, you know, it is the stories about me, not them. So it's mm. not like uh, whether they are upset or not and that's on them they could they should have been better <laughs> towards me <laughs> oh, uh, i mean yeah exactly exactly this I happened mean, this is I my experience be, of it I, i'm know? just being honest whether they feel like they didn't do certain things or do it or mm. oh wait was i that bad well i don't know that's how i felt and that's how i remember mm. now some of those things, uh, obviously, I overcame um, our relationship 
grew up and you know it's up to them whether to accept those things or not i i think we are in a better place mm. but then again that's on them to figure sure. it out it's my story is how i remember things sure. and if they have a problem with that maybe they should have been better uh brother mm. mm. yeah definitely um but in the book you uh have a really just fascinating chapter on the World Trade Center. You'd been there four days before 9-11. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, actually, I was there on that Friday before. Wow. Um, talk, talk to me about before, during, and after that time, because you were obviously right there. Um, I was working on a, on a photography, digital photography class assignment. I, mm -hmm. I mean, I had the, I had, I had, I think I had the, the, the negatives from from my assignment at that time, because um, I was doing both digital and uh, regular. That was that transition period that we had around that time, switching a lot of our cameras from digital from um, film to digital. So I did take my digital camera at that time, but I also took my uh, my other camera that I have, cheap camera that I, I bought. Um, and I do have the film from, from those days uh, still, um, black and white and, and, and colored. Um, maybe I should revisit them, but you know, um, the the whole thing to me seems surreal because had it been, I gone on Tuesday for the following week, then I probably would have, probably would have perished. Mm. Um, uh, on that for that weekend, uh, I think on Sunday I began my uh, my 17 days of uh, uh, active duty uh, orders um, for 17 days at, at the base in in the army. When uh, my uh, one, I think it was my my captain or my sergeant, um, she asked me to to go in and. And to kind of like train and fix a couple of things. I, I, mm -hmm. I needed the money, so I'm like, okay, fine, I'll go. I'll go. Even though that would send me back uh, in school with, you know, um, but the good thing was that they, they would give me the time to make up something if it was, if I was on active duty, and that's what I tried to do. Mm -hmm. uh, watching, well, well I, on that Tuesday, a uh, little bit around eight or past eight, then I see uh, one of my uh, fellow soldier, my specialist at that time, um, he coming rushing down from the second floor and said, you got to come quick, come, you got to see what's, what's happening on TV. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? Mm. And then the minute I go to the second floor, as soon as I open the door, then the second tower is hit by, by the second plane. Um, that was I'm like what what is this I'm watching a movie or something and that was uh, scary um, that's when I realized where we were heading to war um, whether immediately or in the next couple of months and uh, change our our trajectory because in, initially I I joined the military to get an education as I mentioned in the book American Shield and um, you know. I think after 9-11 that my education seems uh, a little bit irrelevant given the, the circumstances and what we were facing. And so I 
volunteer to to go to go to Grand Zero. Unfortunately, um, um, my Italian commander and, and my um, major public affairs, he decided to to keep me in the office and making phone calls and try to get in contact with um, our union members because, you know, obviously they were not on active duty like I was and they need to be recalled to send people to Grand, uh, Grand Zero to assist um, even if they were not needed, they, they they were sending people over just to to help the best they can. And um, unfortunately, they didn't they didn't pick me. So I mean, I I guess I I could be thankful that you know I, I didn't go um, because a lot of people that did one they ended up getting cancer mm. as a result of the uh, asbestos. Mm -hmm. Um, and all the illnesses, um, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with the, most of the firefighters who had uh, responded uh, to 9-11. I mean, they, they dropped in like flies because mm -hmm. of illnesses. And um, if John Field and um, John Stewart uh, both have been great advocating for mm -hmm. uh, the benefits of those people. Yeah. Yeah, I saw John Stewart's uh, testimony before Congress. That was really uh, powerful, for sure. Yeah. So, and I appreciate that. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I because even though I I didn't um, was picked to to go to Ground Zero um, immediately after my seventeen days uh, in the military uh, expire and I completed it, um, I began to tried to get there by my own, uh, um, by myself. And they were telling me, no, you can't, you know, unless you're a police officer, a firefighter, or um, uh, t uh, t uh, TMS, um, um, a medical assist um, for the ambulances, they were not uh, allowing people or the rescue workers, those people who were digging and looking for, for bodies and, and trying to get um, the wreckage out. Uh, those were the people that were allowed there. So in a way, that kind of like prevented me from doing my part, in my opinion. And um, I used to buy the newspapers on, on every Thursday looking for jobs, um, uh, especially uh, the uh, the chief newspaper and the... the um, the Post as well, the New York Post uh, or the Daily News. Uh, at that time, it was like uh, 25 cents or 50, 50 cents uh, at that time. So uh, uh, that, there were a lot of companies that were looking for um, security guards. And I I noticed that, and, okay, how do I get, how do I become a security guard? So. I applied, I saw an ad that says, we'll train you for it. I did, I think it was three days. Um, I paid, I forgot how much I paid, but within a week I was a trained uh, security guard. And um, I ended, I began my working at Ann Taylor uh, for two days uh, in uh, by Fifth Avenue, um, you know, somewhere in, in my hand, uh, New York City. 
Um, I think that story is still there. But within two days after um, I began there, they, and they said, no, we need you to go to um, Chase Manhattan Bank. Um, and that was a couple of blocks away from from the White World Trade Center site, uh, Ground Zero. And all I could hear is the um, the construction uh, personnel and the ambulance and the police and everybody else uh, working there because I was outside working for um, sometime eight to 12 hours, depending on, on my school. Um, I used to be going to school uh, full-time as well. So all those things change uh, uh, right after 9-11 and um, you know, even to the point that I kept volunteering, volunteering, and I ended up going to Iraq in 2003. So mm-hmm. that's a lot of um, yeah. response, and you know, it is what it is. Right. And um, you initially were, you know, and I think a lot of people were very in support of the Afghanistan war. It seemed obvious that's where you know, the, the base of operations was, I suppose. And, you know, that, that made more sense. Uh, you were not, even though you were participating in the Iraq war, you write about how you were, you were not, you were not for it while you were there. Um, talk I mean, a little bit about that, you know, cognitive dissonance, uh, you know. I mean, in my opinion, I think, you know, I, yes, I, that I won to have some type of vengeance against what happened. Yes, mm-hmm. did. But, you know, the people that attack us, in my opinion, were not uh, in Iraq. It was uh, Afghanistan. Right. That's where you dropped the ball because uh, if you, I don't know if you how familiar you are, but um, a couple of months later, we were bombing Tora Bora in, mm. in Afghanistan. And that's where, Supposedly, Bin Laden was hiding. Mm-hmm. They they came within a uh, couple of hundred meters away from mm-hmm. from from actually burying him on the on the rocks in in those caves. Mm-hmm. He began to make the case for Iraq, uh, the U.S. government, right, on the Bush administration and Colin Powell and uh, Condoleezza Rice. Um, and in my opinion, we, we dropped the ball. We took our eyes off the ball and um, began to, um, you know, allowing resources that could have been uh, better used in Afghanistan and perhaps mm-hmm. would not had all these things that just happened um, uh, with a withdrawal as well. So it's, it's a lot of things that could have been done differently. Um mm-hmm. Obviously, I didn't have control of any of those things. Sure. (laughs) Yes. You were not Colin Powell in the situation. So (laughs) you were not holding up the the yellow cake. Um, But um, you made the transition after Iraq to the police. How how was that transition for you? Obviously, that's a little bit of a different job, but obviously requiring some of the same skill set. It wasn't as easy as I thought. Mm-hmm. I, I hoped I'm like, well, it should be easy. I mean, I'm trained with the rifles. I'm, tra- I'm trained with um, or with certain responsibilities. And I just spent a year in Iraq. So I think that should count. And when I 
arrived to the police stations uh, for training. Uh, I mean, sorry, the police academy. Um, everything is like, no, you need to forget about this thing. We're gonna, this is how we're going to do it. And we're going to do it this way, not that way. So it was a little bit of, you know, some things, the physical stuff like for exercises were similar to it. But, you know, you're talking about two, two different prof professions and one of them, one of them was more like, you know, protecting people's rights and, and, and um, uh, rights of assembly, freedom, and, and responding to certain situations. In the military, is different. You are trying to neutralize the threat immediately and in combat overseas, and, and hopefully not in here in the United States. But you know, as you know, January six. Through that, um, through that, through a wrench in, in our thoughts in, in terms of like we will never uh, need to be used here in the United States against our own citizens. So um, I think, you know, two different professions, I think it was easier for me because, you know, even though I, I at that time, I, I was relatively already um, cognizant of my language barriers, but I I did overcome, uh, or I knew enough of the language that I passed all the requirements. Now because uh, it was given to me, or because I, I learned how to uh, become better and improve my my skills, uh, both uh, you know I guess the language and also uh, uh, physical and and also understanding of of uh, being able to speak here and uh, listen um, and also thinking in English as well. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and you were a Capitol police, uh, you know, you are uh, obviously your, your last rank was a Sergeant. You entered as a private or I don't know what is that? Yeah. It? Private, yeah. Private. Um, but yeah, you obviously uh, rose in the ranks and uh, you were you were there for quite some time before all this. Um, I think the most interesting thing about all this is the Blue Lives Matter aspect of January 6th. If I could put one kind of point to it because of how many police officers were in that were among the rioters, uh, also members of the military, as you write, Um also, how many of your fellow officers were at least neutral or sympathetic to the rioters? Um, talk a little bit about that because, you know, you were there at the front lines and people are telling you you didn't have the experience that you had and that it was Antifa or the FBI and it wasn't what it obviously was. Talk a little bit about that because it's like it's it's back to blue until it's not convenient anymore for your well, purposes. I mean, I think they they when they say we back to blue, we support the the um, the rule of law and law and order. It's only they only support that if it is done to another group, mm. not themselves. Because you know, if you look at what Mike Johnson did, uh, the Speaker of the House uh, yesterday. He's like, um, he's had a press conference where he goes and say in the same sentence, he put, um, we are the party of rule of law. We are, we need transparency. And then he goes and say, well, we need to blur out the faces of 
the rioters because they're quote and unquote uh, innocent, and you we don't want people to be uh, identified and prosecuted. Tell me again how you support the police mm. and how you are being transparent. Tell me again how you are pro law and order and the rule of law. If the people who I defended you and your colleagues in the country, in the democracy, in the capital, were targeting you and your colleagues and they were trying to kill you. And are you saying that these are innocent people? And we, uh, you know, and then the former president says, well, we need to release the hostages. I'm going to pardon the innocent people have been, uh, have been wrongly prosecuted for uh, for January 6th. Uh, th these are patriots. Okay, so if they are patriots and if they are hostages, what does that make me, the police officer? The hostage, the sicario, the sequester, um, the bad guy of January 6th? I don't think so. We were protecting the Capitol. We were the one um, defending the Capitol and protecting them while they were running for their lives on January 6th because yeah. they were scared to death. And, and in Josh Hawley's case, they, they, went, they were they were whipping the crowd and the yeah. mob to in, continue their assault on the Capitol. And when that got out of hand, they were running for their lives. Well, yeah. I and my fellow officer, we were fighting for our lives, trying to give them the time to go and run to the hideout, go and evacuate mm -hmm. with the time. While we were getting pummeled, while we were getting blows, while we were getting uh, hit, injured, getting tired, exhausted, we bled, we sweated, we cried, we, we you know, tears, blood, and sweat. That's all we did. And because the action that I took on January 6th, I sustained multiple injuries uh, on my foot, right foot, and on my sh left shoulder, both my hands, contusions all over my body. And I paid dearly. So whenever they say, no, nothing happened, like I say m multiple times in, in my book, American Shield, is nothing happening. And people need to ask this to them. Nothing happened to who? They got to go home clean, safe and sound with an ego bruise and, you know, no injuries, no whatsoever to them because what we did, we took the brunt of it. We were the one getting assaulted. We were the one that got hit, injured uh, with even the, the American flag is still attached to the flagpoles and the poles that we're using as a spear. So we were all doing all those things to give them the chance to 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 come back to and, and live and come back to work and do their job, thinking that they were going to respond just like the country did uh, after Pearl Harbor, Harbor and right after 9-11, where the whole country came together. And that was another case because immediately after January 6th, when they felt some type of the, the, when they sense some type of uh, safety on them, they went back at it to continue their defiance, continue their lies, continue they, their their um, 
projection to what happened despite our sacrifices, despite our uh, injuries, despite what they lived, despite that they were the target of the mob. And I don't know what to tell you other than, you know, we did were we were doing our jobs. Um, we did it not because we wanted anything from it. It, it was our oath. We were trying to protect not only our um, the elected officials, but we were protecting the democracy. We were protecting each other. We were protecting um, the you know our very govern uh, governance governance system uh, way of governance. You know, when you had the vice president, his wife, his daughter in the nuclear football, which he carries as, you know, the, the vice president had to carry it with them. Um, the speaker of the house is in the building, the Senate pretend. These are the next three people in the line of succession to the presidency. If that's not a national security where they are calling for the hanging of the vice president, they were chanting, hang my pants, not hang with my pants. Mm. It's a subtle difference, you know. Right. <laughs> it means a lot. There's a big, there's a big difference in practice. Just, I, I'm just saying subtle because yeah. I guess some, I guess some people do, still don't, don't understand that. Oh man, you know, hanging with my pants means yeah. having fun. You are having a good time. Hang my pants means they want to fucking kill you. Yeah, and they brought a noose and a gallows with them. Yeah. I guess uh, that doesn't seem to fade him because he sometimes claimed that that president was, I don't think it was criminal what he did on January 6th. Mm. Reckless. Well, how reckless do you want him to to be? Mm-hmm. How reckless do you want to find out when thousands of people were trying to kill you and your family, in front of your family? And if it wasn't because of what we did, the officers, um, I think you would have to find out. But uh, I know it's trite when people say this, and I want to sincerely say thank you for your service, and not just for serving in the military or the police, but for taking the brave and necessary step of stepping forward. And I am going to include the January 6th uh, committee uh, testimony you gave at at the end here. I'm going to include it. Um, But yes, uh, thank you for writing this book. Uh, People should go read it. Um, and, uh, one question I do always ask at the end, cause we've got about a minute left. Um, what music have you been listening to lately? Um, I usually just listen to Spanish music, um, all kinds of the oldies from back in the nineties, mostly. Um, I, I tend to listen to any other things, but I, I usually, usually just listen to the same thing all over and over. At this point, the time for our interview ran out, but after our conversation, I asked Staff Sergeant Gunnell if he had any additional statements he wanted me to include in the episode. This is what he sent me. Quote, The book is not just about January 6th. It's about the sacrifices and dedication to duty. I spent 23 years of my life as a public servant in the military and as a police officer, where I protected the country at home and abroad, faithfully and honorably. I have overcome many obstacles, challenges, and adversities. I thought I had it all figured out. Then January 6th happened. I lost my career, my health, and my beliefs in American principles and values, creating a moral injury as well. 
I did what I signed up for and kept my oath. Yet those same people I protected, the Republicans, tell me that what I lived through was not real or that it wasn't that bad. End quote. Before I play Staff Sergeant Gunnell's complete testimony before the United States House Select Committee on the January 6th attack, I want to quickly thank him once more, along with the other United States Capitol Police officers who testified and continue to speak out. And now here is Staff Sergeant Gunnell's complete testimony. Good morning, everybody. Morning. Chairman Thompson, members, members of the Select Committee, Thank you for the opportunity to testify regarding the attack on the U.S. Capitol on January 6, 2021. It is with honor and heavy heart I come before you to tell you my story from a painful firsthand experience of what happened that terrible day at the Capitol. Providing this testimony solely on my personal capacity and not as a representative of the U.S. Capitol. It is imperative that the events of January 6th are fully investigated in the Congress and the American people know the truth of what actually occurred and that all those responsibles are held accountable, particularly to ensure that horrific and shameful event in our history never repeats itself. I applaud you for pursuing this objective. Even though there's overwhelming evidence to the contrary, including hours and hours of videos and photographic coverage. There's a continuous shocking attempt to ignore or try to destroy the truth of what truly happened that day and to whitewash the facts into something other than what they all mistakenly reveal, an attack on our democracy by a violent domestic extremists and a stain on our history and our moral standing here home and abroad. As a child in the Dominican Republic, I look up to the United States as the land of opportunity and a place to better myself. And from that moment I landed at JFK in 1992, I has tried to pursue that goal. Thankfully, I achieved that goal on many levels. I was the first in my family to graduate college, join the army, and become a police officer. On July 23rd, 1999, the day before my 21st birthday, I raised my hand and swore to protect the Constitution of the United States. Because this country gave me an opportunity to become anything that I wanted. At that time, I already started basic training with the Army Reserves. In fact, I raised my hand several times in ceremony, ceremonies to pledge my commitment to defend and protect the Constitution of the United States. When I joined the Army Reserves, when I was promoted to Sergeant War in the Army, when I was promoted during my naturalization ceremony, and when I, my reenlistment in the Army, when I joined the United States Capitol Police, and lastly, when I was promoted to sergeant three years ago, I have always taken my oath seriously. On January 6, 2021, I fulfilled my oath once more, this time to defend the US, United States Capitol 
and members of Congress carrying out their constitutional duties to certify the results of the November 2020 presidential election. To be honest, I did not recognize my fellow citizens who stormed the Capitol on January 6, or the United States that they claimed to represent. When I was 25 years old and then a sergeant in the Army, I had deployed to Iraq for Operation Iraqi Freedom. From time to time, I volunteered to travel on IED-infested roads to conduct supply missions for U.S. and Allied forces and local Iraqi population as well. But on January 6, for the first time, I was more afraid to work at the Capitol than my entire deployment to Iraq. In Iraq, we spent the armed violence because we were in a war zone. But nothing in my experience in the Army or as a law enforcement officer prepared me for what we confronted on January 6. The verbal assaults and disrespect we endured from the rioters were bad enough. I was falsely accused of betraying my oath, of choosing my paycheck, choosing my paycheck over my loyalty to the U.S. Constitution. Even as I defended the very democratic process that protected everyone in the hostile crowd, while I was at the Lower West Terrace at the Capitol, working with my fellow officers to prevent the breach and restore order, the writers called me a traitor, a disgrace. I, I, an Army veteran and a police officer, should be executed. Some of the writers had the audacity to tell me there was nothing personal that they would go through me, through us, police officers, to achieve their goal as they were breaking metal barriers to use as a weapon against us. Or they used more menacing language. If you shoot us, we all have weapons. We will shoot back. Or we'll get our guns. We outnumber you. They say, join us. I heard specific threats to the lives of Speaker Nancy Pelosi and then also Vice President Mike Pence. But the physical violence we experienced was horrific and devastating. My fellow officers and I were punched, kicked, shoved, sprayed with chemical irritants, and even blinded with eye-damaging lasers by a violent mob, apparently who apparently saw us, law enforcement officers, dedicated to ironically protecting them as U.S. citizens, as an impediment to, a, to their attempted insurrection. The mob brought weapons to try to accomplish their insurrectionist objectives and use them against us. These weapons included hammers, rebars, knives, batons, and police shields taken by force, as well as bear spray and pepper spray. Some of the riders wore tactical gear, including bulletproof vests and gas masks. The rider also forcibly took our batons and shields to use them against us. I was particularly shocked at seeing the insurrectionists violently 
attack us with the very American flag that they claim to soft to protect. Based on the coordinated tactics that we observed and verbal commands we heard, it appears that many of these attackers had law enforcement or military experience. The riders were vicious and relentless. We found ourselves in a violent battle, desperate to attempt to prevent the breach of the Capitol by the entrance near the inauguration stage. Metropolitan police officers were being pulled into the crowd. We have one right here, right next to me. As we tried to push the riders back from the breach in the Capitol, in my attempt to assist two MPD officers, I grabbed one by the officer by the back of the collar and pulled him back to the police line. When I tried to help the second officer, I fell on top of some police shields on the ground that were slippery because of the pepper spray and bear spray. The riders immediately began to pull me by my leg, by my shield, by my gear strap on my left shoulder. My survival's instincts kicked in and I started kicking and punching as I tried in vain to get MPD officer attention behind and above me but they could not help me because they also were being attacked. I finally was able to hit the rider who was grabbing me by, with my baton and able to stand. And then I continued to fend off new attackers as they came rotating and attacking us again and again. We were subjected what we were suggested that day was like something from a medieval battle. We fought hand to hand, inch by inch, to prevent an invasion of the capital by a violent mob intent on subverting our democ democratic process. My fellow officers and I were committed to not letting any rioters reach the capital. It was a prolonged and desperate struggle the rioters attempted to breach the Capitol were shouting, Trump, send us. Pick the right side. We want Trump. I vividly heard officers screaming in agony and pain, just an arm length from me. I didn't know at that time, but that was Officer Hodges. And he's here today to testify. I too was being crushed by the riders. I could feel my, myself losing oxygen and recall thinking to myself, this is how I'm going to die, defending this entrance. Many of the officers fighting alongside me were calling for shields because their shields had been stripped from, from them by the riders. I was one of the few officers left with a shield. So I spent the majority of my time in the at the front of the line. I later find out that my wife and relatives were here in the US and abroad. Were frantically calling and texting me from 2 p.m. onward because they were watching the turmoil turmoil 
on television. It was now until 4.26 p.m. after giving CPR to one of the rioters who breached the Capitol in an effort to save her life that I finally had a chance to let my own family know that I was alive. After order, order has finally has been restored at the Capitol, in many hours, I arrive at home at nearly 4 a.m. on January 7. I had to push my wife away from me because she wanted to hug me. And I told her no because of the other chemical that I, my uniform had on. Sorry. I couldn't sleep because the chemical reactivated after I took a shower and my skin was burning. I finally fell asleep two hours later, completely physically and mentally exhausted. Yet by eight o'clock AM, I was already back on my way back to the Capitol. And I continued to work for 15 consecutive days until after the inauguration. I made sure to work despite, despite my injuries because I wanted to continue doing my job and help secure the capital complex. More than six months later, I'm still trying to recover from my injuries. Many of my fellow capital officers, as well as MPD officers, suffer terrible physical injuries from the violence inflicted on us on January 6th. I sustained injuries on both my hands, my left shoulder, my left calf, and my right foot. I already had undergone bone fusion surgery on my right foot, and I was just told that I need surgery on my left shoulder. I have been on medical and administrative leave for much of, my of the past six months, and I expect to need further rehabilitation for possibly more than a year. There are some who express outrage when someone kneels while calling for social justice. Where are those same people expressing the outrage to condone, condemn the violence attack on law enforcement, the capital, in our American democracy? I'm still waiting for them. As America in the, wa in the world watching horror what was happening at the Capitol. We did not receive re timely reinforcement and support we needed. In contrast, during the Black Lives Matter protest last year, U.S. Capitol Police had all the support we needed and more. What was, why the different response? Were it not for the brave members of the MPD and laid on from other law enforcement agencies? I'm afraid to think what could have happened on January 6th. I want to publicly thank all the law enforcement agencies that, res that responded to assist that day for their courage and their support. I especially want to thank the, those 
Capitol Police officer who responded on their own from home after a working midnight shift. Despite being our number, we did our job. Every member of the, of the House of Representatives, senators, and staff member made it home. Sadly, as a result of that day, we lost officers, some really good officers. But we held the line to protect our demo democratic process because the alternative would have been a disaster. We are not asking for medals or recognition. We simply want justice and accountability. For most people, January 6th happened for a few hours. But for, but for, all, for those of us who work, were in the thick of it, it has not ended. That they continue to be a constant trauma for us literally every day, whether because our physical or emotional injuries or both. While it has not received much attention, sadly, many of my colleagues have quietly resigned from the Capitol because of that day. I'm also regularly called by law enforcement officials and prosecutors to help identify from photographs and videos the rioters. And to be honest, physical therapy is painful and hard. I could, I could have lost my life that day, not once, but many times. But as soon as I recover from my injuries, I will continue forward and proudly serve my country in the U.S. Capitol Police. As an immigrant to the United States, I'm especially proud to have defended the U.S. Constitution and our democ democracy on January 6th. I hope that everyone in the position of authority in, this, in our country has the courage and conviction to do their part by investigating what happened on that terrible day and why. This investigation is essential to our democracy and I'm deeply grateful to you for undertaking it. I'm happy to assist as I can and answer any question you may have to the best of my ability. Thank you.